0: Thank God he's in control. And I'm trusting that what I have prepared, what, what he's had me look at, is what he wanted us to hear today. That's my excuse anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the Lord into it and asking the Lord's backing. For my, he, he works within our foolishness, doesn't he? Even with our, with our bad memory and everything else, he, he fulfills his purpose. I want to um, look at a, just a few quotes from a, a paper that was done by a guy called James Skemp. Some random guy, I don't know who he was. Um, but I found this paper, and he's, he's looking at the, the whole issue of man's desire for control, and particularly within, uh, within nature, that, that, that man desires to control nature. So he's written this paper, and uh, he, he says a few interesting things that kind of tie into what we're looking at today. starts off by saying, throughout history, man has been trying to become a controller of nature. Frankenstein. Sorry, the, the, the title of it was Man's Quest for Dominance Over Nature Within Frankenstein. So he's looking at Frankenstein. Frankenstein can very easily be seen as a romantic novel, as it it seems to lean towards the idea that man cannot completely control nature and should not even attempt to. Instead, man should let nature take its course and try not to change the natural order of things. Victor Frankenstein is another individual driven by the pursuit of knowledge of nature. Like Darwin and other scientists, Victor would like to gain knowledge about the nature of human beings. Specifically, after his mother dies, he wants knowledge of life and death. He wishes to be able to control them and bring about their cessation. Like time, life and death appear to be the greatest feats of nature that man will ever attempt to prevail over, and this will be no small task. In Frankenstein, however, Victor is able to do just this by assembling various parts to assemble a body. He's able to bring life into this construct and thereby create a living being. He justifies his experiments and attempts by saying that he can perfect man, make him into something that is better than nature. He wishes, in fact, to be able to control life and death itself. Death to victor is the one greatest mistake that nature has made. The problem is, however, that to him, his creation's animated form is an absolute horror to behold. While it is true that he has bested nature, that is, he has given life to the dead. The price is the creation, price is that the creation is unnatural, is against nature. He, of course, wishes to have nothing to do with this monstrosity, much like those who destroy nature wish to have nothing to do with those effects they bring about. To sum up what's been said so far, then, is that man attempts to control nature, believing to be the master over all. However, some people do not believe that man should attempt to do so as it would be, and is found to be, unnatural. In fact, man's effect is just that, an unnatural one, in that it works against nature instead of with nature. The question then is, why, why man is unable to emulate nature? Why is, is he unable to work with nature without harming it in some way, as we have seen above? One answer is that man is unable to see ahead that he refuses to see the purpose in everything that nature does. Victor Frankenstein is so obsessed with his mother's death and with his desire to remove it, that he does not see the purpose that death has. I think we can relate to feeling this way, this desire for control. As As long as we are looking for purpose and meaning on earth, in things or people, we're going to be constantly disappointed, constantly frustrated, and even driven to despair. If all we have to look forward to is death, then our existence is ultimately meaningless, nothing but a vapour, here today, gone tomorrow. We must remember that while the world that we live in is unstable and filled with insecurity, constantly changing, the God of the Bible is completely stable, completely solid, completely trustworthy. He's the one true constant in life. He alone is a rock solid foundation. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He alone is in control, and He alone holds the future in His hands. Our passage today begins with this wise teacher making an observation about life and the reality that it is made up of different seasons. Even the four seasons, we think of spring, summer, autumn, winter. They reveal the changing nature of life, don't they? Things, there's an ebb and flow to, to life. Things don't just stay the same. If we look at verse 1 of our text, it says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. And the word season here means an appointed time. It's saying that there, there's an appointed time for everything, every moment, every Part of your life, there is an appointed time for that. Nothing happens just by random chance. But everything in our lives has an appointed time. If we look at um, Psalm 139, verse 16, check this out. You saw before I was born, I think it's David speaking to God. You saw before I was born, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's the New Living Translation. You saw before I was born, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Remind, what does that remind you of? Revelation, where books are going to be opened and all that has been done in our lives. Scary for everything you've said in this life is being recorded. Your life is mapped out. This means that all of what we perceive to be good stuff, all of the, the highs in life that we would consider to be highs, the triumphs, all of the bad stuff, the difficulties, the heartaches, the pain, the suffering, all of this is under the control of God. This can bring real comfort, or it can cause us to be really fearful. Because in reality, isn't it true that just as the the opening paper was was highlighting, we want to be in control, don't we? We want to control the seasons. So you might have had that experience where I was born in summer, summertime baby, if I had a choice, most of the year would be summer. I, like, I enjoy summer. It's funny, but as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm beginning to appreciate the different seasons. And actually, there's, there's, there's stuff within each different season that, that I enjoy. But definitely growing up, up until I was maybe 35, it was all, if I had my choice, it would all be about summer. Just so that we know that God has appointed a time for every event in our lives, the preacher now gives us a famous poem. And this is in verses 2 to 8. This apparently was slightly before my time, probably before most of our time. Uh, there was a group called The Birds back in 1965 who took the, the words of this poem and made it very famous. Lots of people, this is a very famous words. most people know it. Not necessarily everybody knows it's from the Bible, um, but definitely many people above my age, 50, 50 or so, would um, have remembered the song. And Turn, 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 I think was the, the, the major theme that went throughout it but it was it took the words of this poem let's read it together now a time to be born and a time to die oh amen you read literally i like that Bertram. praise god see that's a man who's obedient a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted a time to kill and a time to heal a time to break down and a time to build up a time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn Here you've got 14 couplets covering really all of life. Opening with the two events that we know for sure are clearly out of our control, don't we? And that really is the whole point. This is the whole scope of life, but it's a life that we're not in control of. When you're born and when you die, it starts off with that, doesn't it? Although people try to control these these events, all we can do really is try to work out maybe when they might happen. So, you know, you go and do you, you're, you're a lady, you feel like you may be pregnant, you, you, you get the test, it's blue or whatever the color is nowadays. You go to the doctors, and um, the GP says, Yes, definitely, you, know, you, are, you are pregnant, you, you were right. Um, and they try and work out then this from the moment of conception to like nine months on, this is when the baby will be, will be born. Is anybody here actually born on the date that they were said? Probably well, you might not know. Not me. <laughs> you probably never asked, do you? you never, never asked that question. But I, know from, from, I don't think any of my children, none of, none of my children were. Some of them were quite close, but ultimately the, the doctors are guessing. We have no power over when somebody's born. In the same way we have no power over when somebody dies. God does. God determines that. We've got many children here, many cho- children recently been born. And they were born at the time that God had appointed that they would be born. Not before and not after. One problem with the seasons is that if you're not careful, you can spend the whole time wishing that you were in a different one and therefore miss all the unseen benefits of the season that you're in. What season are you in right now? Do you know? Do you know what, what time it is? So just a little while back, wasn't it, we just say, yeah, well, I know what time it is. Do you know what time it is? A wise person can detect what season they're in and they will behave appropriately for that season. We're told in the book of Proverbs to study the ant. Why? Because the ant shows wisdom in the fact that when it's summertime, the ant knows, okay, he's preparing now for winter. Winter's coming. We're not there yet, but he's actually preparing now. He's seeing the time. Obviously, God has enabled him to do that. Um, but he, the, he's showing wisdom to the point where we're pointed, we're, we're told to go and look at that ant and study, and actually we'll gain wisdom from that. He's aware of what the time is. First Chronicles 12.32, there's, it says, the men of Issachar, these are part of David's mighty men. Men of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. There was a, a, a wisdom that they had because they were able to discern what the times were and then make decisions based on that. And the whole nation was blessed as a result of it. Jesus rebuked the crowds in Luke's gospel for knowing the weather forecast. They could say, okay, yeah, next week it's going to be you know, sunny, week after that it's going to be raining and what have you. But they couldn't discern the spiritual time. I mean, he rebuked them for that. He was expecting that they should be able to determine that now the kingdom of God was coming in this person, in God's Messiah, and they were supposed to be aware of that. They had the scriptures. They had the signposts. They were supposed to be looking for the time and the season. We need wisdom to discern the time and the season, don't we? You need that even for your life right now. Thank God he promises to give us wisdom, liberally, if we ask him. Some of you are at school or college or uni right now, and it's your time to study. It's been appointed for you at this time, in this season, to make the most of the opportunities you have to improve your education and develop your character. Don't waste this time. As much as we're looking at Ecclesiastes, and we're seeing in and of itself these things that are meaningless without God, but God has determined and set this time, if you're, you're in a time of study right now, for you not to waste. had a little bit of time... Um, studying a little while back and if I'm honest I didn't make the most of every opportunity within that time and then therefore you end up missing out don't waste this time God's placed the tutors there to be a resource for you and other students for you to be a blessing don't just turn up and be on the register and just get through it but actually make the most of this time that you have now or you might find yourself back there in in 10 or 15 years time again having to do it again or maybe you're in a season of singleness. Ouch. Don't waste this precious time. I've been there. We've all been there, haven't we? Don't waste this precious time by pining to be married, but make the most of every opportunity that God has given you now. Don't waste your time grumbling or looking at what, what you feel is the grass greener on the other side, but actually make the most of it. There's a sister here. I'm not going not to blow her up. Who is single and he's running hard for Jesus is loving the Lord, is serving the Lord in whatever way she can. And it's evident and it's obvious. And it's not like, oh, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm single, so I'll just do this until, you know, you change my situation. It's genuinely, with whole heart, is making the most of this opportunity that she has now, because she would not have that when she's married, if she gets married. She's not gonna have, you don't have the, the same time, and married people, can I say you don't have the same time and, and freedom that you have when you're single? And Paul talks about that, doesn't he? 1 Corinthians 7 said, he who is unmarried cares about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. That's the focus. That should be your focus. You're married to Jesus. Make the most of this time. Don't grumble about it. And I'm not minimizing the the, the, the pain that can be be in that time, but actually if if you shift your focus and realize that actually this is a great opportunity for me to serve God in a way that I may not be able to Who knows what's around the corner? Some of you are married and in real danger of wasting this season by either remembering what it was like when you could leave your clothes all over the place (laughs) without anybody complaining, remembering what it was like to cook what you want, when you want, how you want, without any comments or feedback coming from anybody else, or maybe not cook. Precisely, maybe not cook. Takeaways every night. Morley's. Oh, i been delivered. But there's also a danger in this season of marriage that you can miss out on or work against, actually, what the Holy Spirit is doing in a very unique way. He's conforming you to the likeness of Christ. He's showing you through your spouse just how selfish you are, just how much you need him, just how much actually you still have to change just how much you want to be king, just how much you desire to be in control. And God has, had, has you at this time in this marriage wanting to teach you, wanting to develop you. Don't fight against it. Look at one another as a gift from God. It might be difficult for some of us now because we begin to see that actually you're not a gift, you're just a frustration I don't want to see how selfish I am, actually. I quite liked it when I was on my own. You can begin to feel this way, even as a married person. You might be in a season of suffering right now, maybe through illness or some kind of persecution. Maybe you long for this season to be over. Nobody rushes towards suffering. Nobody says, bring it on. And yet, we know from the scriptures... And from examples within the scriptures that suffering actually brings about great fruit in a way that in a very unique way that only suffering can do that. Intimacy with Christ who suffered the greatest. There's things to be learned in this season. Don't fight against it. Pour out your heart before God and trust that He's in control. For some of you of you or us, it's a season of parenthood. You've had your first child, and this is a completely new season, for which means that overnight everything has changed. You're now experiencing the meaning of sacrifice, or at least you should be, on a whole new level. Crying, winding, sleepless nights, investment in pampers, um, the loss of money, somebody even more selfish than you to take care of, overwhelming highs where you feel like you're going to explode because of the love you have for this child. And soaring low is where you happily pay somebody money to take the child away for a week just so that you can sleep or read a book or just sit on the toilet for five minutes without somebody calling you. Please hear me. Don't waste this God-given opportunity to get an insight into the relationship that God has, has with his children. That's what parenthood does, isn't it? it it gives us an insight into how God feels about us, how, how unlike God we are as a parent, but there are similarities also as well. And, how, and, and I've got a deeper understanding and appreciation of how God loves me because of I have children, because I'm a dad, and the sacrifice that he's made, and just I'm so often faced with, wow, Lord, the way I treat my children there, was you're so, you're so different to me, you wouldn't have done that. I'm so grateful you don't treat me the way that they, I treat them, and... Lord, will you help me to treat them as you would? Help me to change. That can only come by being a parent. Or you get a deeper understanding of that through this season, through this time. So don't fight against it. During the season of uh, parenthood, your undivided attention is needed by this child. This is a season where you need to live in the light of what season it is. You're going to have less energy, especially if you're a mummy. You're breastfeeding. You're going to have, already, you know, your body's gone through a trauma. Your mind's gone through a trauma. Your emotions are gone through a trauma. Husbands, during this season, you need to support your wife in a different way. No room for jealousy now. Come on now. Amen. Amen. Because for this particular day, t- <laughs> you're long past that, so don't worry. Hopefully, Hopefully, you guys are long past that. <laughs> You've moved on from that now. Never done, amen. <laughs> so it's a different season. So, so our, 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 our our feelings and our desires, for, for for a season, take a back seat, don't they? As, as husbands, they need to. We need to be, be aware of that. This is the season you're in. God has appointed this time for you both to focus on loving, protecting, and training your child. And if you're not careful, time will fly by before you know it. It'll be five, there'll be 10, there'll be 15, and will be gone out of the house. And if, you're not, if you go through that whole time wishing that you didn't have the responsibility that you now have or you had more sleep and of course you want more sleep obviously we pray for that um, <laughs> please keep praying for that for, for us um, as I pray for you but if you're not careful you'll miss out on what a blessing being a parent can be it's a great gift so just looking at my children this morning just playing in the garden just thanking God and I've been doing that recently more not that I've not done it in the past but I've been doing it more recently thanking God for the gift that they are to us. Truth is that not all seasons are like marriage or having a child where you've got time to prepare for the new season. But some seasons come upon us suddenly without warning, don't they? You may now be in a season of grief because of the loss of a loved one and you feel like the rug's been pulled from underneath you, your world's been turned upside down. During these times, like no other, our faith can be pushed to the limit where what we know to be true. We're faced now with the reality of, okay, how, do, do I really trust God? Do I really trust him? Knowing that he's sovereign, knowing that things could have been different, he had the power to do that. You're tested in that time. It's a season where you're going to need to be patient with yourself and more importantly with God, where you're going to need to allow others to support you So there's a humility in that. And to help you is where the church comes together to support one another, particularly in in times of grieving. We cry with those who are crying. Where you're going to need to lean on others. But most importantly, where you will need to lean on the Lord in a way you never have done before. Remembering that he's a very present help in time of trouble. Verses 1 to 8 reveal that life is not full of happy seasons or comfortable seasons, as there are lots of times on this list if we could, we'd take off the list. If I said to you, you've got the power to edit this list, then what would you take off? Some seasons we probably all agree to get rid of, like weeping, mourning, war. Some of you like war, but most of us would probably agree that we don't want those. Then there's other seasons that some of us will just have on like a 24-7 loop, a time to dance, (laughs) raving 24-7. It's just, (laughs) yes, that's me. Whereas for some of us, that would be hell. We wouldn't want that. Most of us would opt for a season of peace, wouldn't we? Continual peace, no beef, no issues, peace within my home, peace out on the streets, peace in the world. It's coming, isn't it? We know that that's coming. Ultimately, we need peace with God. And that's what Christ brings us, a relationship with God through Christ. He brings peace where there has been war. We're not going to see the fulfillment of that yet. Problem is that in the same way we can't control the four seasons, we've absolutely no control over the seasons of life, when they come, how long they come for, or when they end this is the observation that the teacher is making. The whole of life is full of seasons that are not random, but they are completely and utterly beyond our power to control. This brings more frustration to his already vexed soul as he observes life under the sun and tries to find meaning and purpose. What Ecclesiastes 3 1, to 8, 1 to 8 is not saying is there's a time to kill. Somebody dissed me last week, so you know what? I'm Here's a scripture. There is a time to kill. Now is that time. I determine that. That's what it's not saying. It's not prescriptive in that sense. Firstly, God gave the sixth commandment, didn't it? You shall not murder. That's not this this word kill and, and that word murder there is two different words. You shall not murder. Premeditated murder is not what Ecclesiastes 3.3 is saying. It's talking about a time. It's, it's just, you're happy, you're happy about that? Some of, you are not, some of you might not be happy about it, but that's, it's not, that's not what it's encouraging. But it's saying there is a time. Verse 8, for instance, talks about a time of war. There's a time where there is a time to defend yourself, to defend your country, but also even judicially, that there is a, a time for capital punishment, let's say. God determines that. That's the issue. We are not the ones who determine it. God is the one who determines when these seasons come. We're not in control. For some of us, maybe for all of us, that's a scary thought. But I want to encourage you that actually it's a great thing. We're not in control. Because things would be a real mess if we were. So this is a bit a blow for us all, especially if you're OCD with regards to needing to control things. I've noticed in my life that when my life feels out of control, um, just in the smallest ways, even if I can, just con- I can just tidy this room, my wife's like, really? When did that happen? But in, 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 the, small- in the smallest of ways, in the small- it does happen, I think this way anyway. In the smallest of way, I-, I want to control even, the- I kind of have control out there, so I'll try and control this small part. If I can control that, and in some ways it makes me feel, feel better. But the reality is we're not in control. God is in control. Uh, Alistair Begg? Please, Pastor Rob. Alistair Begg says this. He's a pastor. The problem is not the is not in the fact that time does not doesn't stand still and keeps moving. So some of us would be like, you know what? If only I could just treasure this moment forever. We have felt that way, haven't we? I've i felt that with my, with my children. No, I don't want you. you know, my son's going to be five. I don't. Want Yeah, the time is just flying. So, but that's not the issue. Is that we're stopping time? But the ultimate problem is that we only see a fraction of the movement of time, and as we try to make sense of it in our, of our tiny little part in the vastness of it all, we're aware that that our part that is is tremendously insignificant, and that hurts. Imagine you're a speck of sand in a child's bucket. Today you are this speck of sand. And you feel quite important. All the other specks of sand know your name, and they're quite impressed with you, until one day you get, into your, you get taken in your bucket to a beach. It's a completely new environment. All that was comfortable has changed. Some of your closest grains of sand have gone. And not only that, you somehow are feeling much smaller than you were before because of the size of your world has grown. Just as you feel like you're beginning to get grips with your... Strange new home. A strong wind picks you up and you seem to be hurting through the air at great speed for eternity. The wind carries you to the Sahara Desert where you fall into the middle of a sand dune. And just as you catch your breath and open your eyes, a camel's foot comes crashing down on you, pushing you deeper into the hot, scorching sand. You realize now more than ever that you're in a world much bigger than you could ever have imagined. A world where you're not in control, and in which you really must be quite insignificant. This observation on life brings the teacher to the question in verse 9, which is a question he's already asked. What do people really get for all their hard work? What's the point in work? Why should I work anyway? Go to work, pay the bills, come home, same thing day in, day out. What's the point in it all? As we looked at last week, you know, some, all the work that I do, someone else is going to come along and benefit from it. Why should I bother investing my time? And it's a rhetorical question. Really, the answer is, what's the point? Well, there isn't a point. There's no point. But then in verse 10, there's very good news if you've got the right perspective. It says, I've seen the burden that God has placed on us all. I've seen the burden that God has placed on us all. Some of you might have business. It's really from the New, new Living Uh, translation. And the good news is that God has given us business or a burden which results in us feeling dissatisfied with life under the sun. So we try to find fulfillment and meaning in this world and we experience the different seasons in our life and realize that we have no control over them. The teacher, as much as he's frustrated with life, he realizes that there's more to life than can be seen and that he's not ultimately in control Neither are we. We aren't even in control of our thoughts, our bodily functions right now. the things going on with our body, we have no control over them. It's quite ridiculous when you see us so puffed up and arrogant about how in control we are. We're not in control. And it's, I say that, that that's good news because of where hopefully that frustration can lead to. The realisation that you're not in control is a, can be a major turning point in your life when you relinquish the idea and the illusion that you have control and begin to consider that actually if I don't have control, who does have control? This world is much bigger than me. This world has clearly been created, clearly been made. I need to find out who this is. You then begin the the pathway to life. I want us to notice three things about uh, the God of all seasons, the God who is in control. Firstly, in verse 11, we see that God has created us to know him. If we look at verse 11, it says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God originally created a beautiful world, didn't he? Think back in, in Genesis, created a, a, a beautiful world. So Genesis 1.31 says, Then God looked over all that he'd made, and he said it was very good. It's very good now because man was in it. God had made man. Before this, it had been good. God doesn't use words lightly. For God to say good, that is awesome. For God to say very good, that's beyond words. It's amazing. Amazing doesn't cover it. Awesome is probably better than amazing. Trying to, you get the point. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed; the morning came, marking the sixth day. The world that God created was beautiful. It was perfect. And since the fall, he's been making everything beautiful in its time. You have to understand that. We 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 are constrained and confined by time, but by God who is outside of time and yet works within it. And it has a plan and a purpose for every single moment of your life. We need to understand that. We need to trust that. God has a plan, and there's a particular time for each part of that plan. We don't know just how or when he's doing what he's doing, so we need to have faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Every event in your life as a believer is, as Romans 8.28 says, working together for your good and for his glory. All of the brightest seasons and the darkest moments, all of it, The teacher understands that God in his own time and on his own terms will make all things beautiful. Remember Joseph, given a dream, son of Jacob, given a dream where he sees these sheaves of wheat or whatever it is, bowing down to him and he kind of naively runs and tells his his brothers, he's got 11 brothers, I saw, you know, I had this dream and um, 11 sheaves bowed down to me that obviously from that point or even before that probably they really hate him. He then goes to his... Has another, God, and this is a dream that God has given him. God gives him another dream uh, where not only the, the, the 11 uh, shoes, but the moon and the stars bow down to him representing his mum and his dad. He tells his mum and dad obviously that they're not too pleased about it. What are you saying? You young upstart. The youngest in the family but now he's, he's got this dream. So his brothers hate him to the point where they chuck him in the ditch. He's sold into slavery. He's bought by Potiphar and made number one in the house. Nobody apart from Potiphar is greater in the household. He's a man who loved, He's a, a young man who loves God, um, has good moral character, and is trustworthy. Is, is shrewd and is wise. And so he gets he's put in this position. Then Pharaoh's, or should I say, Potiphar's wife, Cougar, pounces on him, tries tries to get him get him into bed. He runs, literally leaving his coat behind. And then she calls the police, as it were. He's thrown into prison. Up until now, he's not doing anything wrong. Thrown into prison. (coughs) Not only that, he's then called on by Pharaoh because um, Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can answer the dream, but somebody who was in prison with Joseph, remember that actually this person, he he obviously has a relationship with God. He's able to to help. and So he calls Joseph. Joseph tells him what the meaning of the dream is because obviously God gave it that, that meaning to him he's then put in a position of not just number one in the house, but number one in, in the country. So he's ruling, basically, over the country. He has n- the number one spot. God has placed him in his position at the right time. You have to understand this. Let's, let's think about it. The timing had to be perfect, because what's coming, famine is coming. Not just randomly. It's famine is coming at a particular time. And so there needs to be an individual one of God's people in a position at the exact time in order that when that famine comes, God's people now come to Egypt and God delivers his people through this individual at a specific time. God is in control. He's the ultimate timekeeper. Joseph couldn't see it though, could he? Joseph didn't have a a window in on this. What did he need to do? He needed to trust God, regardless of what he saw. Because there are many opportunities along that road for Job to say, What's going on here? I'm doing the right thing, Lord. And look, every time I do the right thing, things start to go well, things turn upside down. He trusted and God worked to his perfect schedule. Or remember Job, upright man in the land. Job, there's Job. God, God says, Look, says to Satan, Have you considered? He brings the attention on the heat on Job. He says, Have you considered my servant Job? Nobody like him in the land, but he's blameless and upright. Satan wants to destroy us. God says, "Okay, I will allow you to take everything, but not his life." This is is God's child, God's person who's been trusting in God. Everything goes wrong. He loses everything: his children, his health. Suffers in a way that none of us, hopefully, will never experience. God is in control. feels abandoned obviously at at, at certain times he couldn't see what was going on could he? we have the hindsight and we we read read what what was happening but he couldn't see what was happening and yet he trusted God he said in um, chapter 1 verse 21 to 22 he said naked I came from my mother's womb this is his attitude now where he's he's suffering in a way that's unimaginable boils and and sores all over his body, he's lost all of his children his business, everything is gone and he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He had a perspective, didn't he, on God's timing. Clearly, God being sovereign, God being in control. Regardless of his circumstances, he wasn't praising God because his circumstances are well that even when he couldn't see what was happening, he was trusting, God, you're in control. I don't know what you're doing, I don't know why this is happening, but you know, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job 42, verse 12, says, and the Lord, at the end of it now, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. Look at the blessing that came through all of this horrific suffering. There was great blessing that came as Job continued to trust God in the midst of it when there was no rhyme or reason that he should that the circumstance didn't dictate that actually he should trust God because he, he, he couldn't see what was happening it looked like all hell was breaking loose and in many ways it was but God was in control God was working to his own time frame making everything beautiful remember Moses born at a appointed time I love the story of Moses such a, such a, a stroke of genius on the part of God in that he has, God's people are in slavery, enslaved by Pharaoh, as, they, as God said that they would be, for a time that he said that they would be. And at a specific time, he has a child born, no sooner or no later. It had to be born. Pharaoh tries to kill that child, not just specifically that child, but all children of that age. Ultimately, Satan's behind it, trying to destroy this child. Why? Because God, this is God's chosen deliverer, Moses who God had determined will be born at a certain time to deliver God's people. And God has him grow up. This is the the genius. Don't don't ever think that Satan is, Satan is, we need to be wary of Satan. We need to, um, we are no match for him, but he is no match for God. He has, God has, in his own sovereign genius, has Moses grow up in Pharaoh, who is the enemy of God, ultimately, has him grow up in his house. And while he's growing up in his house, God is making sure that he's being trained and there's certain things that he's learning in that time for the time that's coming ahead because God is going to take him out, put him, in the, put him in the wilderness, continue his training, and then send him back to deliver God's people. God is in control. This is the God that we serve. And if, if I'm honest, as I begin to reflect back on these verses yesterday, I was just getting pumped, getting excited, because it, and just realizing how ridiculous it is, Lord, that I don't trust you. I've got your word that shows me clearly you are so in control to the moment. Nothing is going to take place that you don't want to allow to take place. Yes, there's going to be difficulty along the way, but he's in control. He's making everything beautiful in its time. Remember, Jesus prophesied about hundreds of years before that at a specific time he would be born in a specific place. Bang on time, he was delivered. By the Father. Lived the perfect life. Brutally murdered. How can this be good? How can this, this, the most horrific thing that took place, Jesus on a cross, the Son of God, on a cross, naked, bones hanging out, shredded to pieces, blood poured everywhere, dead. Nothing beautiful about that, is there? Yes, there is. Because of what God was doing, God was in control. What's the beauty that came for that? Salvation. Salvation. It means any of us who are trusting in God, we no, no longer need to go to hell, which is every man is bound for without Christ. We no longer need to be in a position where God is actually our enemy. We're enemies of God, the Bible says. And there's no peace between us and God. We desperately need there to be peace. God brought something beautiful from that horrific scene on the cross in the person of his son. And the result is Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, with all authority in heaven and earth, in control of everything, praying for us, his people. We now have access to God because of that horrific moment. God's working everything out, making all things beautiful. Even now, we don't yet see the fulfillment of it. It's coming. where We're going to, as believers, we're going to be with him forever. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. God is working out, making all things beautiful. He's in complete control. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us to actually, our view of ourselves is too big too big we're too focused on ourselves and how our issues and what's going on with us in our lives and i say this i say this is all i know that i am and our view of god is far too small far too small his timing is perfect whatever season you're in as his child god has not forgotten you he's not abandoned you and he knows exactly what he's doing do you believe that today He has interest in past tense, made it beautiful. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, New Living Testament, Translation, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's no surprise really, is it? He's God who spanned the universe into being with words and holds everything together. Everything together is held in, together in him. Us, even in in our arrogance and our shaking of the fist, we couldn't even raise our fist and shake it to God if he didn't allow it. We're being held together by him. Of course his thoughts are so so much further. That's a humbling thought, but it's a great thing, isn't it? A God who has done this, who has this kind of power, this knowledge, this ability, deserves me to bow the knee. I just want to check for time to make sure I had a story, but I might need to leave it out with time. I'm good for time, yeah? Uh, there was a, somebody who called into a, a radio station, and uh, this, this was the, the, so that's a true story. I just wanted to kind of read it out to you guys. A few weeks before September 11th, my wife and I found out we are going to have our first child. She planned a trip out to California to visit her sister. On our way to the airport, we prayed that God would grant my wife a safe trip and be with her. Shortly after I said amen, we both heard a loud pop, and the car shook violently. We had blown out a tire. I replaced the tire as quickly as I could, but we still missed her flight. Both very upset, we drove home. I received a call from my father, who was a retired um, uh, New York policeman, New York uh, firefighter. Sorry. He asked what my wife's flight number was, but explained that we. So I explained that we missed the flight. My father informed me that her flight was the one that crashed into the Southern Tower. I was too shocked to speak. My father also had more news for me. He was going to help. This is not something that I can just sit by for or have. I have to do something, he said. I was concerned for his safety, of course, but more because he had never given his life to Christ. After a brief debate, I knew his mind was made up. Before he got off the phone, he said, "Take Take good care of my grandchild. Those were the last words I ever heard from my father. He died while helping the rescue effort. My joy that my prayer of safety for my wife had been answered quickly became anger. Anger at God, at my father, and at myself. I'd gone for nearly two years blaming God for taking my father away. My son would never know his grandfather. My father, my father had never accepted Christ, and I never got to say goodbye. Then something happened. About two months ago, I was sitting at home with my wife and my son when there was a knock at the door. I looked at my wife, but I could tell she wasn't expecting anyone. I opened the door to a couple with a small child. The man looked at me and asked if my father's name was Jake Matthews. I told him it was. He quickly grabbed my hand and said, I never got the chance to meet your father, but it is an honor to meet his son. He explained to me that his wife had worked in the World Trade Center and she had been caught inside after the attack. She was pregnant and had been caught under debris. He then explained that my father had been the one to find his wife and free her. My eyes welled up with tears as I thought of my father giving his life for people like this. He then said, there's something else you need to know. His wife then told me that that as my father worked to free her, she talked to him and led him to Christ. I began sobbing at the news. Amen. I began sobbing at the news. Now I know when I get to heaven, my father will be standing beside Jesus to welcome me and that this family would be able to thank him themselves. When their baby boy was born, they named him Jacob Matthew in honor of the man who gave his life so my mother could have a baby that lived. Amazing. God was at work. Couldn't see it. God is at work. Huh? Amen. Only because of time, Bob. Only because of time. Um, you might regret it in 20 minutes' time when I'm still here. Uh, no, but, but what an amazing story. And the reality is, we know. That's, is that the first story you've heard like that as a believer? Probably not. There are potentially millions of stories just like this that could testify to the fact that though you cannot see, God makes all things beautiful in their time. And the reality is, for some of us, that will be. In eternity it's for some things It's not necessarily everything that we're going to see under the sun how god but i do believe that we're going to be standing spending a lot of eternity going oh lord i didn't see it if only i could have seen it i would have trusted you more i wouldn't have wasted my time worrying and stressing out you told me not to not, not to be anxious but I, i'll be honest i waste so much i have wasted so many years being anxious and worried Back to our text, verse 11. The problem is that God has planted eternity into the human heart. Did you see that? Meaning that God has hardwired us for more than this earth. We instinctively know that, that we're, we're born for more than this as we experience the frustration of this life. Everyone. We're aware of this. God is eternal. He's made, us, made man in his image. And so... And so we long for fulfillment that only comes as a result of being in relationship with the one who made us. Romans 1, 19 says, they they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. There is no such thing as an atheist. There is no such thing as a true, genuine atheist. All there are are men and women who suppress the knowledge of the truth that is everywhere. Nature screams that God exists. Within our own hearts, there is a scream that there is more to life than this. Somebody has made this, that there is a created order. It's unavoidable. So this, therefore, becomes a burden. As you are trying to find purpose and meaning in any other sphere, any, in any other thing or person, any other venture, you're going to be frustrated. I can tell you that this morning. If you're not in a relationship with God, you will spend the rest of your life frustrated unfulfilled and I don't say that to, as, a, as an attack on you I say, I say that to, as a warning you have been made for fulfillment alone in the one that made you in relationship with him every venture I could, you could save yourself some time this morning you may not listen to anything else I say every venture that you're going to take part in aside from him if your determination is that you're going to live this life on your own and you're going to find purpose and meaning that's long-lasting, even beyond this life, apart from a relationship with Christ. Save yourself money and time. You will never be fulfilled outside of a relationship with Christ. God has put that within you, so therefore what is, what is, what is, a, is, is actually a blessing, God has given us this desire to know him, actually becomes a burden because you're trying to, I'm trying to, I don't want to use the the old thing of the God-shaped hole, but you're trying to f- you're trying to fit other things in where only God can be. This reality means that as long as anyone tries to find meaning and fulfilment outside a relationship with God, he's going to be forever disappointed and unfulfilled. God is God, and we're not. God has also set limits on man's ability to know what the full scope of God's work, and this frustrates the teacher and it frustrates us, doesn't it? I, 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 Okay, you've given me this desire to know you and to realize that actually there's more beyond this life, beyond earth. There's, there's more that I should be striving for. But there's a limit to what I can know. I don't know the times and the seasons. I don't, I don't know what's around the corner. There's an uncertainty to all of this. And I believe God has done that in order that we would have faith. Melvin Tinkler in his book, Wisdom to Live By, said, speaking of this passage, He is the all-wise God. He has made everything beautiful in its time, just right. He is the all-personal God, too, for he has put eternity in our hearts. That is a deep knowledge that he is there and that we're made for him, that we're more than genetic reduplicating machines living for the just now, but people made in his image, made for a love relationship to last for all eternity. Nothing else can fill the void in your life, The end of that quote or satisfy your deepest need, not relationships, career, raving, drugs, whatever it, whatever it is that you seek to. And, and this, this is what we learn, isn't it, from the, the, the teacher. He's, he's, whatever you can think about doing, he's done it with knobs and bells on. And he says it's meaningless. Augustine says, you made us, speaking of God, for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you second thing we need to know about God is that God created us to enjoy him. God created us to enjoy him. So verses 12 to 13. So I concluded there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these these are the gifts of God. Preacher once again resorts to being grateful for the seemingly simple pleasures. If I'm honest, I'm I'm ashamed to admit to you I'm a complainer. I complain about, sometimes I, you know when you hear yourself and you want to give yourself a slap, I'm out driving and I can hear myself complaining about the traffic, you know, it's too much traffic, too many people on the road, too many people in this country, too many people in my house, (laughs) Uh, it's too hot, it's too cold, things are going too fast, they're not going fast enough, Um, I'm not earning enough money, I just don't know, I'm, I'm frustrated. Complaining, complaining, complaining. but we're meant to be people who enjoy the seemingly simple things in life. And when we get the perspective right, when we realize, okay, I'm not in control, that can be a scary thing at first, but then as you think it through and realize, okay, I think about the scope of this world, and of course I'm not in control. I'm so insignificant in the the scheme of things. How could I be in control? What would it be like? The things that I do have control of, I mess up anyway. I mean, the, the things that I'm head of and leading and... They're imperfect. It's only by God's grace that people don't see the, the complete and utter ridiculousness of it. And we can get to come through to a place where God is in control. I can relax. I can rest. From when I was young, I've hated going on the motorway, particularly because of high speeds and what have you. But as I've got older, were, if I trust you to drive, if I think you're a good driver, Amen. I can sleep on the motorway. I'm going. If I don't, I'm going to be. My eyes are going to be wide open. To be honest with you, if I can drive, I'll try and drive, even though, I, even though I'm tired, because I want to be in control. But when I know that actually, when we get to a place where we realize that God is in control, and not only is he in control, he's good, and he's perfect, and he has all power, and all that he does is for my good all the time, then I can actually relax and enjoy this life. My dad used to say to me, regular, and it wasn't a flippant thing, he's a believer, just have a nice day. Have a nice day. As believers, we can enjoy the day. Whatever the day may bring, whatever situation or season we find ourselves in, we can enjoy it. been doing that recently, been consciously working to just appreciating my beautiful wife, appreciating my children, appreciating the meal that, that is put before me that I didn't make. <laughs> Some way, by God's grace, I, I hope to provide, put it there, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't cook it. But just really appreciating that, appreciating one, and just yesterday found myself with a with a, a washing basket on my head playing Star Wars with my son. So you'd look at it and think it's tri- it seems trivial and meaningless. I, c- I can relax and enjoy because God is in control. One of, one of my wife's, um, what I wanted to kind of get to was the, the fact that we don't. It says about enjoy, it says that these, these are gifts from God. So the, the, the fruits of our labor, the fact that we can eat and drink, these are gifts from God. So we, enjoy, we get to enjoy the gifts, don't we? Which is a great thing. But it doesn't stop there, hopefully. Hopefully we're not just coming to God for the gifts, or the things he can give us. It should lead to actually, Lord, you know, I really appreciate the gifts and I can enjoy them, but ultimately I join them because I enjoy you. I enjoy my relationship with you. Think about, we've got a, my wife's, one of my wife's oldest friends. We only probably see her maybe three or four times a year. But without fail, on all of my children's birthday, without fail, she's probably the first person to, to, she remembers to, to bring gifts. And I love her for that. But, and I appreciate the gifts, but the, I know, because I know that they're, they're expressions of true love for us, it draw, I'm drawn more to her. And it's, it's the relationship that I appreciate more than the gifts, which is why I've headed this. God created us to enjoy him, not just his gifts. Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do we enjoy the Lord? You heard Sorgi ask a searching question last week. And it was searching, definitely for me. Was it the fact that, do we, do we, when's the last time we thought about the fact that God delights in us? God delights in me. The, wow. the ant that I am in comparison to things, he delights in me. When he sees me as his child in Christ, he doesn't, he's, not, he's, not, he's not angry, he delights in me. I want to flip it, though, and say, do you delight in him? Do we delight in his gifts, and ultimately, do we delight in him? If we were to interview people who are closest to you, would they say that you're somebody who has a joy, somebody who clearly enjoys their relationship with God somebody who's thankful and grateful so I've looked at your Twitter feed Facebook account would it be evident that you're somebody who enjoys God if I'm honest if you looked at mine you wouldn't necessarily feel that sometimes you would if you spent a day with me you wouldn't necessarily feel that sometimes you would more and more you would hopefully finally I want want us to see that God created us to worship him Verses 14 to 15, he's created us to worship him, to fear him. And I know, know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before. What will happen in the future has happened before because God makes the same things happen over and over again. God is sovereign. He's in control. I can relinquish control. I can let go. And actually, what do I need to do? I need to fear him. Old Testament, that, that, that was very much a case of... Tremble before this almighty God who is a consuming fire. That would have been more the emphasis when you hear, hear, hear to fear him. It's developed and moved on to a respectful awe of this one who, is, who, who, who supersedes all, who is far greater than me or anything that I can imagine. Living for him, living in, uh, as for him as the ultimate priority. We saw last week that the, the, the idolatry is when you, you make a good thing a, the ultimate thing. The true worship is when you make the ultimate thing the ultimate thing. He is the ultimate. He's number one in my life and that's evident. I can see that in my, in, 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 in my life, hopefully. And we've been created for that, which is why every single one of you in here, whether you say you believe in God or not, you all worship. Once again, if you looked at your Facebook account, if you looked at your your bank statements, we see what you worship. It's unavoidable, you cannot avoid it, but we were created to worship him and him alone. May the Lord help us. The teacher here obviously understands that no matter what, no matter what God alone is sovereign. He alone is in control and man is not. And the result of this humble recognition has to be fear. So Proverbs 1 verse 7 says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You know what? We've not even begun to be wise until we get to a place where we realize God deserves all worship. He deserves me to fear him. In the same way that I'd stand before an ocean, I'd be a fool to just swim out into the ocean. Well, normally i go about 10 or 15 feet. That's my limit. But I'd be a fool to swim out into the ocean with no respect for the fact that this ocean can kill me. It can take me on a surfboard into, and I can have lots of fun on it. But if I'm not, I need to be respectful of it because it can destroy me in a moment. That's an aspect of this fear, this reverential fear that we have for God, that we're to have for God. One who obviously has all knowledge and all power over every circumstance in life. God is eternal and all that he does will last forever. Whereas what is done on earth, whatever we find ourselves to do, is going to fade away, isn't it? And will continue just to bring us frustration, if we're looking for things to, to fulfill us, anything apart from Him. Jesus said that the, that the Father is looking, he's looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. He's given us a spirit. There's that from deep within my worship to him,' it's not it shouldn't be surface level. and it's in truth. That is according to how he has revealed himself to me. How has he revealed himself? In the person of his son, Jesus. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, definitive, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except to God through me. Deep. So we need to remember that we're not in control. That's a good thing. We need to thank God that he is in control. That's a great thing. God is in control over every season of our lives. And we need to trust that he has a purpose in every season. Even right now, he's got a purpose in whatever we're going through. We don't always see clearly, but we need to trust that he's going to make all things beautiful in their time. Life under the sun is uncertain, but life in the sun, S-O-N, is rock solid and a foundation that is secure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are in control. Thank you, Lord, that we exist only because of your good will, your good pleasure. Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose. That plan is to redeem us, Lord, to bring us back to yourself. And so you have sent your Son to die in our place, to take the punishment for sin, in order that when we put our faith and our trust in him, when we look to him and not ourselves, and say... I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I recognize that Jesus alone can provide that salvation. Jesus alone can give me peace with you. When we do that, Lord, oh, what what beauty comes from that. Salvation, Lord, we're so grateful. So grateful for the cross, for the horrific, ugly cross that you brought great beauty from. We thank you so much for your son to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given the glorious one, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, we thank you so much for your son. We praise you. Lord, would you help us to trust you? Good times, bad times, dark times, lights at whatever time, whatever season we find ourselves in, Lord, help us to trust you, to hold fast to you, recognizing you're working it all out, Lord, and you will, you can do nothing but bring beauty in its right time. We praise you today. Help us to trust you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.